Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got one of my favorite editions of the Deciding Point, our breakdown of everything that's happening in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, we break down all of the Division I women's action. And while we do have a few conference tournament results to recap, on tonight's show. The focus of this episode is, of course, the 2023 NCAA tournament. While yesterday we offered our live reactions to everything as the draw was unveiled on tonight's show, we get to do the cleanup act and take you through all 16 of the opening weekend's regions. We'll talk about the host seeds on Upset Alert. We'll talk about the top seeds. We expect to look the part. We'll run you through the most interesting first-round matchups, the most interesting individual matches. We'll offer you our predictions and so much more. And joining me to help break it all down is the man who has joined me each and every week on this show, a man I know matches my excitement for the upcoming month of tennis. It's a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast. It is our co-host of these episodes of The Deciding Point and my dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It's finally NCAA tournament time. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling great. Look, coaches say they play the whole season for this moment. You know who else plays this season for this moment? That's us, right? We have been doing this weekly. It all leads up to this event, and I couldn't be more excited for this to be happening. Looking forward to breaking it all down. My study guide, I would call it. Players are studying for finals. I'm studying for this event. I have a 16-page guide ready to go here for the women's and men's NCAA draw previews. I'm excited. Could not be more looking forward to this episode. What do we as a college tennis populace have to do to get access to those 16 pages? Because I want to read those (laughs) notes. That's the prep I need for this weekend's broadcast. And for what it's worth, I know we haven't made the formal announcement. I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but I won't lie. I'm going to be leaning heavily on Jay for tonight's predictions as we're so fortunate to be able to be a part of the broadcast of so much of the upcoming month of this NCAA tournament. As such, I get accused of bias anyways. I don't want to make it too easy for anyone. I'm I'm featured in a tennis recruiting panel. They always offer up a roundtable from people like us uh, about thoughts heading into the NCAA tournament, and they asked us for our predictions. And I would ask every listener of the show to go read that article, one, because it's always intriguing. It's always informative. But two, I think you're really going to like my answer to that question. It's exactly as stupid as you would expect. Um, And so, yes, again, predictions, it's going to be fun. I want to see those 16 pages, Jay. What do we have to do? I don't know. I should come up with something good. There's some (laughs) salacious stuff in here. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's not for the Cracked Rackets Patreon. Yeah, exactly. You got to pay extra double for that sort of content. Well, of course, we can get the abridged Cliff Notes cleaned up version of those 16 pages here on tonight's show. Exactly. As we're going to run you through all the regions. Again, talk Pac-12 tournament, talk Big Ten tournament to start tonight's show, but then get pretty heavily into our NCAA tournament preview, of course. 
course, the reason we're going to be able to do that tonight, as we've been able to do each and every weekend, as we've reached May, which let's just be clear, Rome, Madrid, French Open, NCAA tournament, it's the best month on the tennis calendar, hands down. I got to give a shout out to you, Jay. And yeah, half a shout out to me as well. We did miss an episode this year. And again, the reason we make it a point to record each and every week, A, we know how much great action happens throughout the course of college tennis season. We don't want to miss out on any of it. We owe it to all of you fans who have tuned in week in, week out, have made this uh, so exciting for us throughout the course of this season. And I see some questions in the chat. Of course, we'll be happy to answer any of them throughout the course of tonight's show. A uh, shout out to all of you who have made this such a fun season. Again, we're ready for the home stretch. Of course, the reason we've been able to highlight it all here on The Deciding Point is because of the support we get from our dear friends at Turna and LS. And look, again, everyone recognizes a Turna grip. There's a reason so many players across the country, across the tennis world use Turna. Switch to the latest Turner product, Turner Tough. It's a more durable version of Turner Grip. Still going to get tackier as you sweat. Still going to have that iconic trademarked blue color. We appreciate the support we get from our friends at Turner. You can find their product anywhere you shop for your tennis equipment. It's that good. Uh, trust me, once you make the switch, you'll never use anything else. Shout out to our friends at Turner for their continued support. Shout out to our friends at LS who, of course, have been with us since the start of this season. We appreciate all they do to support us here at Rackets, and of course, you can have access to their immense catalog of clothing by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Again, a massive thank you to our friends at LS for the support they do uh, give to these episodes of The Deciding Point. With all of that said, Jay, again, got to clean up some final things from conference tournament play. Then we'll get into our NCAA tournament preview. Let's start with the Pac-12, which I do think is the more significant of the two results because from a dark horse perspective, there was a team that I think there are a lot of dark horses, a lot of unseeded or non-top 16 seeds, I should say, that are going to come from out West that could absolutely do some damage here in the opening weekend of play. And a team we have highlighted all season long, the USC Trojans, they got a much needed confidence boost heading into this NCAA tournament. They reach the conference final, knock off Arizona State 4-1, Cal 4-2, two very impressive victories for this Trojan team. And yet that's not the headline coming out of the Pac-12 tournament. The headline is that Stanford is thriving. And this is a team we both pointed to at the start of the year, very much in that inner circle of the national championship conversation. Well, now they've won 18 in a row. And they haven't lost a match since the indoors. And they beat both USC and Washington 4-0. They 4-1 Arizona. You know, Yepafanova has settled into that number one spot. And to have NCAA finalists from last season, Connie Ma at two, you feel great there. Blake at three might be the best spot in their lineup. And she's the third person you mentioned. And then again, they figured some things out, whether it's the freshman Blokina getting better throughout the course of the season, five and six, doubles what they want to do with those pairings. You're our Stanford expert. You tell me. You've seen all the Stanford teams over the years. Does this one have the chops? Oh, well, I don't think that's fair to, yeah. to compare them. Well, this is still a Stanford team that is looking to get to the quarterfinal for the first time since 2019. Sure. That is 
shocking for a team that's won 20 of the available 40 NCAA tournaments. So I don't think it's fair to kind of compare them to the Stanford years of past where you might draw the comparison is, okay, you have a Stanford team that's won 18 matches in a row. They're out West doing their thing. How good are they, right? Are they NCAA championship winning? And that's, what's going to be really interesting. This is a Stanford team that will now in the NCAA tournament in the first two rounds, not to jump ahead, but face a team that's ranked higher than any other team in the Pac-12 in Oklahoma State. So yes, they roll through this Pac-12 tournament. It is an extremely talented team. I think what they will benefit from this year is having more experience. It's still a young team. All of those, the, the trio of Yepa Fanova, Connie Ma, Shu at, at five, they're all sophomores, but they went to you know, Oklahoma last year, they were a little bit more battle tested. They've come through this season. So I think they're very much in this dark horse conversation of being tier one. Yeah, I guess it was improper framing in in the sense of the context of the field where this Stanford team compared to fields of years past, it's not the gap. The delta isn't the way it would be for a team that's won 20 of 40 national championships, to your point. That said, in any other season, I do think this Stanford team now has that national championship gusto. And I think you framed it perfectly where maybe it's not this season, but next year or the year after that, with all these players coming back, this group is really freaking good. And do I think they're going to unequivocally win the national championship this season the way they have in years past? You're right. The answer to that question is no. Could they make the semis? Could they make the finals? I didn't think that coming off of the national indoors. I think it's hard to say no to that question now because their top three are that good. And because again, they, I mean, what do you think about their four, five, and six? Where are you with their progression throughout the course of the year to get really Stanford specific? Because we haven't really had the Stanford conversation this year. Yeah. So Blockina has been volatile this season. She looked a lot better in the Pac-12 tournament. The best version of Blockina is going to be close to unbeatable at four. Now, how often we see the best version of Blockina is going to be a question mark. But when she's playing aggressive and not defensively, she's going to be one of the best fours in the country. Uh, Shu, well, as well, Valencia Shu is playing a lot better. I really liked her aggression. I mean, she finished a match there against <laughs> USC, right? And she is more methodical. She plays slower points. Not often she gets off the court. Sarah Choi at number six, the one connective tissue to that 2019 team who did win the NCAA championship. When she is healthy, she has struggled with health a little bit this year. I think she's going to be one of the tougher outs at number six. So, the best version of this Stanford team, it is not just about that top three. It is also about four through six. The biggest Achilles heel for the Stanford team, which has been something that has long been an Achilles heel for them, is the doubles point. This is not a Stanford team that is strong in doubles. And in a field with margins that thin, that could come back to bite them. Okay. No, all of that is interesting to note. And yeah, I mean, look, they take the doubles point against USC and Obviously, they take the doubles point against Washington as well. Yeah, it, it is the most notable thing about that USC match is that they win doubles. They get wins at five and six. And then what it was, I think, Blake at three, uh, who was the the third victory for them as well. And again, to get five and six, 
those are going to be the swing spots all NCAA tournament long because you, we know about the battles up top. Any team that gets rhythm at that five and six spot, that's the team that so often ends up in the winner's circle. I always point back to Aragonian Weirsholm just because it's the most pronounced example of that five and six success. There are plenty more examples of it over the years, but that's just the clear and present one. And yeah, again, it's a credit to Stanford. They roll to another Pac-12 tournament title. We had this conversation a bit yesterday. I know you named this team as a dark horse. It's a really good weekend for USC. And, you know, you look for the Trojans to, I think the biggest thing, it's not just the 4-2 win over Cal. It's that they get that win without Cayetano. They get that win without a win for Matty Sieg at the top spot as well. You know, they also get a win over a really good Arizona State team. Like, to do it back-to-back, that's what you have to do this weekend. And maybe for the first time all season, USC looks at themselves and they say, hey, like, we can do it back-to-back this year. Yeah, it felt a little Murphy's Law when we saw Cayetano (laughs) out of the lineup. It was like, wow, this USC team really can't catch a break. But look, sometimes when you're down and out like that, you find a way to rally together. I was really impressed with the way this USC C team stepped up without, you know, one of their leaders in Cayetano, particularly finding wins at four through six, right? If you're going to lose your number three player, everyone's got to step up. And and that didn't seem to hurt them that badly. As you mentioned, they still found wins even without C getting a win at number one. She's been one of their surefire points and without Snow Han at two kind of struggling. So uh, overall, I was very impressed with USC and the way that they came together. They beat Arizona State without Cayetano and without Naomi Chung. Like that's a that's an impressive victory uh, yep. for the Trojans. A testament to their depth. The last one I would bring up: Washington four over UCLA. Like God, do they need that? Just I know they lose the next match to USC, but they needed one just to get the juices flowing again. Yeah, they needed to stop the bleeding, right? They had yeah. lost four straight in the Pac-12, and so they feel good about that. Again, we talked about this. That's a budding rivalry here with the Washington UCLA team. So uh, they're excited to get that win and hopefully carry that momentum into NCAAs. Yeah, no, again, it's a really fun group. It was a really fun Pac-12 tournament, obviously. Uh, Again, would have been even more dramatic had Cal needed to like avoid the 500 rule, which they didn't. And they should have never had to have that. But there was a moment like three weeks ago where it looked like that might be the case. And look, ultimately, Cal gets in as they should. They have a really fun first round match that we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, Stanford, your Pac-12 champions, USC, certainly a team has momentum once again going into the NCAA tournament. And all you got to do is point back to 2021 to a time when an unseeded USC team ultimately find them, found themselves at the final site that was one let's go to the big 10 next where ultimately michigan completes an undefeated big 10 season they looked really good uh, throughout the course of the weekend 4-0 over maryland 4-0 over wisconsin and then uh, an impressive 4-2 victory they were down 5-2 at that number two double spot julia fliegner lily jones ultimately coming back with the 7-5 victory from there ultimately uh it was Jaden brown uh gala mesacherito and julia fliegner who earns the clinching victory to give the wolverines a 4-2 win their third over the buckeyes this season Jay, where are you with these Wolverines? 
Well, I won't rub it in for your men, but there were a lot of parallels here uh, between the Michigan women and the Ohio State uh, men. I recall a similar comeback there in doubles as well for the Ohio State men. Look, they absolutely looked the part. They went undefeated in the Big Ten regular season. There were no dips in form here in any of those matches. Um, You know, Ohio State showed some life there in second sets and they started to come back and, you know, split sets. But Michigan closed the door. Really comprehensive performance for Michigan. It was good to see Gala back in the lineup for them at six. Look, they are extremely solid team up and down the lineup, and they every much deserve to be the number five seed in NCAAs. Good weekend for Mary Kelly, no doubt about that, who, you know, part of the double swap we saw in Jaden Brown, Kari Miller split up. Of course, there'll be a top five seed at the NCAA tournament. We learned that today, but Jaden at one with Andrea Serdan, Miller now at three with Mary Kelly. Again, Lily Jones, Julia Fligner at that two spot. Uh, although I think we saw them at one in one of the matches as well. If my, I, I, There was some playing around with doubles. There was a lot of college tennis over the course of the weekend. It worked. I mean, again, Wisconsin's really good in doubles. I got to watch them against Northwestern in person. They were really impressive. And that's a really well-fought doubles point. Again, it was just a really good weekend for this Michigan team. They unequivocally deserve to be a top eight seed. You know, it's going to be a really fun weekend in Ann Arbor to have three days of high-level NCAA college tennis from Friday to Sunday. And that's not a place I, I would venture to say Michigan tennis has been maybe ever, or certainly in a very long time. And, you know, again, it's a credit to this. The 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 biggest testament I can say about this group is as exciting as they have been this year, you just can't help yourself and think, well, five of the six are back next year. And like, God, is this group really positioned? It's going to be just like a really fun two-year run. And this group has made it that enjoyable. On the eve of what could be the most historic run for Michigan <laughs> women's tennis in all time. I'm just we, saying. What do you mean we can't help ourselves about thinking? I, I can, I'm can. i not thinking about 2024 and this Michigan team. I'm thinking about them in the now. You are right. This is going to be the first time in history both the Michigan men and women could host the Sweet 16, right? They could do that as well. Um, so it is a historical moment there in Arbor. Let's celebrate the present. I agree. I'm just saying it's the healthiest Michigan tennis has been in my lifetime. And that's a fun place for a biased fan would be. Now, I'm not. So I guess it's not that fun for me. But I could imagine I see the argument in favor of it being fun. And again, look, Jaden Brown is banged up. And for her to get a three and three win over Arena Contos, for her to take that six love set against Maryland to really put that one away. She's been excellent, deserving MVP. Julia's clinching against Ohio State twice. I don't know if I'm going to have any hair left at the end of the season, but that's really fun. It's a really fun Michigan group to watch in person as well, and I was excited to get to do that this past weekend. I also thought, and you said this, not to sneak it out, uh, just to sneak this under the rug, I thought Ohio State fought really well. Like, they could have folded after that doubles point, and it's funny you can make the same parallel to the Michigan men where they could have folded after dropping the first sets. Neither team does. And maybe that's just a testament to this rivalry, but like the Contos loss was surprising in straight sets. And I do wonder how much that had to do with it being indoors versus yep. outdoors. Um, that's a really good win for Sydney Ratliff at two. And again, you have three set matches at three through five. It turned into a toss up. Now, Michigan ultimately gets the victory, but I thought it was a really good weekend for the Buckeyes as well. 
not really good, but a, a quality weekend. Like it, it, you don't feel bad coming off of it. Well, I think it's always tough to lose three straight matches to your number one rival. Sure. You know, they were very close to yeah. not making that match in the semifinals. Um, or was it the quarterfinals? There was one match where they really no, struggled. It, against I, it was the quarters because the semis quarters. was Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Quarters, yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, the quarters. So I think it was Nebraska. Yes, it is yeah. Nebraska. And if, um, you know, Boulay doesn't come back from one, three in the third, that could be a very different story. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is I'm sorry to interrupt. I was I really wanted to go to the women's event at Purdue to watch some of these teams play, because I think the state of Big Ten women's tennis, particularly with the impending additions of USC, UCLA, it is an interesting 30,000 foot view question. I know we got to celebrate the presence. We're getting into the NCAA tournament preview in a second. I That's promise. an off-season topic. Yeah, but like I watched Nebraska. I watched Illinois. I watched Wisconsin and like all in Northwestern who had a bad year. There's no denying that. But I thought the quality of play was good. I, I did. I like I was pleasantly surprised by how good these Big Ten teams were. Great. I don't know how, yeah, even though only four of them are in the NCAA tournament. All right, well, that's the tangent. Any other Big Ten thoughts? You ready to get to the NCAAs? Yeah, let's get to the NCAAs. All right, let's do that. That's, again, Michigan, Stanford, your Power Five Conference Tournament champions from the past weekend. With all that said, it's time to look at the postseason. It's time to get to the NCAA tournament. And, again, what we decided to do is break down all the categories, uh, you know, host sites on upset alert seeds uh, who we expect to have success the best of the rest the best first round matches we'll have all of that coming up over the next 40 minutes now how we are going to categorize things is again i came up with these categories i have these seeds on upset alert for one reason or another we will let john j parsons be the arbiter of if these seeds are properly placed with that in mind of course everyone is wondering who are the top 16 host seeds on upset alert. That's, of course, where we're going to start. And look, it's pretty cliche to say the number 16 seed, the last host seed, is on upset alert. So I don't think it's a shock for anyone to find out that we have 16 seeded Florida in this category. Florida, who I thought had a really good season for a group that was incorporating a lot of different young pieces. They finished the year 16 and 7 overall. It's not about any doubt you have in them. It's about who they're hosting as they're going to host Georgia Tech, UCF, and North Florida. You know, this Georgia Tech team, ACC battle tested. You could argue they may walk on court with the two best players in Carol Lee and Kylie Bilchev with the form those two have had throughout the course of this season. The, the reason Florida is in this category is because of Georgia Tech. Jay, am I fair in placing them here? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the number one upset that people are circling here. And it's not just because of the 16 seed. You'd probably say this if there was a 15 or a 14 seed here, right? Georgia Tech has looked very strong down the home stretch, beating Miami at home, taking out a Chloe Beckless Duke in the ACC tournament, but a Duke team nonetheless. Yeah, this is absolutely a deserving uh, upset here. It's going to be a very close match. Yeah. And you know, I went and looked at the stats for these two teams because I was just looking for a match calculus. The swing match is four singles. And, you know, Carol Lee and Bilchev get the the headlines. Alejandra Cruz has been so good for Georgia Tech this season. Cruz 15 and 6 overall, 12 and 2 at the number four spot. 
the Yellow Jackets 19 and 3 at 4. Florida 16 and 2. And Rachel Galis, the freshman, 14-3 overall in dual match play, 12-2 and at that four spot. Here's the thing. I think Georgia Tech's a little bit better at doubles. You know, you look at their record there. Actually, that's interesting. I'm so wrong about that. They're 28-34 and overall in individual double sets here in this dual match season. That just doesn't feel right for a Georgia Tech team. Florida 34-20, and Jay. So wrong by me. I like. I feel like again, if you're Georgia Tech, it starts at one and two. Mm-hmm. I think everything. You know, uh, Florida's been really good at, at the three, four, or really solid three, four, five, and six. What's the path? What do you see? Well, if you're Georgia Tech, the path is doubles, right? Doubles one, two, and probably four. And if you don't get doubles, then you need to find. One of five and six. Yeah, sure. Mahawk Jane, 16 and seven this season. She has been very good. You know, again, that's been the player who's come through. We saw Rosie Garcia Gross do it once. Not to cut you off. It's been up and down at six. They're eight and 13 overall at that position. So that's probably not the spot you turn to. You got to take what, four of the top five then? Yeah, I think so. Although, you know, Florida hasn't been that strong at number six either. I think for me, where I lean in this match overall is that Georgia Tech's going to have a tricky first round with UCF, a UCF team that hasn't been healthy yeah, sure. all season, but will come in here looking to kind of get their first, you know, NCAA win under their belt. And then Georgia Tech's going to come in and have to face Florida, a team in Gainesville in the swamp. This is the very popular upset pick. I'm going with the Gators, though. I like it. Look, Florida's been solid everywhere, and seeing that doubles record is encouraging because if they take the doubles point, they're a hard team to find four against. They're over 500 at every position. Again, really good at that number four spot. Yeah. But, you know, D'Oliviera's 13 and six, Dudney's 15 and four, Dahlstrom 13 and six. They've had a bunch of success in different places. Again, I'm not making predictions, but I appreciate you doing so. This is certainly a region many will have circled uh, yes. throughout the course of this opening weekend. Let's move to the next team I put on this list. Eighth-seeded Pepperdine. It has everything to do with the strength we've seen of USC, and you made the case for them yesterday, but I'll ask you again today. Is it justified to put Pepperdine on this list? Absolutely, right? This is a Pepperdine team who – unfortunately for them, has a very clear match calculus. It's doubles and one, two, and three. And when doubles goes askew, which has started to happen during during the kind of home stretch of the season, they had lost three doubles points in a row against WCC competition, becomes really dicey for them. Now, they did just win their conference tournament title, but they're on the outside looking in of the top eight. And this is a USC team who, when they played Pepperdine earlier this season, it's four three match. Emma Charney had match points again against, against Tom Chaiwat. USC didn't have Naomi Chung, and USC might not have Aaron Cayetano. But if they have a full strength lineup here, they can absolutely beat Pepperdine because I think they have the depth to do it. Well, they didn't have Chung when they played in as in the regular season. Sorry, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, and you know. Pepperdine is building sort of a fortress around that top three, right? Saying, hey, we're going to get this top three. Look, Maddie C can absolutely beat Lisa Czar at number one singles. And so, yes, I think they can get the bottom half of this lineup. And I think they can also put a dent in that top three. Yeah, they took doubles, I should say. They didn't have Naomi Chung in singles in their matchup in the regular season. 4-3 thriller came down to a three-set win from Bunyawe Tim Chaiwat. But, of course, Emma Charney, the freshman, had all sorts of chances in that match at four 
look, Brodus is still undefeated in this 2023 season. The thing we haven't talked enough about on every episode. And, you know, well, she's up to two now. Yeah. And so, again, given whether it's a healthy or depending on the varying health of a Han, of a Cayetano, whether it's Chung in that position, whomever it may be, who'd they submit? Well, they submitted, you know, Sieg, Han, Cayetano, right? Everyone in there, Chung, Charney. So, yeah, I mean, again, the only thing I feel certain about in that matchup is Eileen Brodus at two. Like, that's all I got. Everything else, I think, is a toss up. And that's why I think it's a really fun match. You picking Pepperdine or USC? Who you got? Look, I mentioned, you know, this has been a, a tough season for USC. I thought they showed a lot of resolve here in the Pac-12 final. It's a very familiar opponent, familiar location, not a far drive. I'm picking USC to get out of this regional. Wow, there it is. You want to give me a path? For USC, I yeah. think that they will take doubles. I think they will get four, five, and six. All and right. if they do if they do not get uh Redlick, if they do not beat Redlick at five, I think Sieg beats Lisa Zar at one. All right, there it is. And I'll tell you what, if that's the clinching match, four hours, clear your night schedule. Absolutely. That, yeah, that one's going the distance. I will say Brodus not being at one, I think specifically hurts them against USC because I Good. think any of their top three win at number two in this instance. I think Brodus might be a better matchup against Sieg. I like that insight. Is that from the note pack? Is that in the 16 pages? <laughs> it's written in here somewhere, but that the, one was off the cuff. I like it from the 16. There we go. Again, it was a 4-3 regular season match. So no matter what, it promises to be fun. Let's move down to the two-time defending NCAA champions. Texas, your number eight seeds. They're going to host AM Corpus Christi in round number one. They then face the winner of San Diego Cal. Should they get through that round one battle? And of course, Cal, a team we saw at the NCAA Sweet 16 as recently as what? Last season, I believe. And, you know, uh, obviously they're taking on a San Diego team. We saw reach the national indoor San Diego beat Cal in the kickoff weekend. I don't know if I have this on uh, the reason I have this in upset alert is just because there's a lot of depth everywhere. Like there's just a lot of options across the board and everyone's been pretty good across those three teams. Jay, is it justified to have Texas in this category? I think it's on upset intrigue. I do think there's a reality here where North Carolina at the end of this is the only seed left in their quarter because I do think that those are all in kind of the upset intrigue area. Look, I'm curious to see one who gets out of this rematch of Cal San Diego. And then two, how much that team pushes Texas, which I expect they will. I think both teams have the necessary talent at the top of the lineup, as well as the depth to compete, you know, you know, position in out with Texas. But I do think Texas gets through this. Yeah. Certainly, they have some momentum, right? Getting through a couple of tough matches, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma at the Big 12 tournament. They get these matches at home, which is critical. Texas Heat is not the same as California Heat. Yeah, I mean, again, they're the two-time NCAA defending champions for a reason. You're right. Upset alert might be the wrong category for these. These are just intriguing, intriguing regions. And that Cal-San Diego match might be your best of the first round. So certainly felt the need to include it there. You're picking Texas, though, to get through? I am. Who are you picking in that round one battle? Cal. All right, I like that. And we'll get to more intriguing round one battles later on in this show. Let's move over now to the Ohio State region. 
And look, the only reason Ohio State has to be included, I think, in this upset alert is we've seen Vanderbilt go there and beat the Buckeyes. We saw it last season. And look, this Vanderbilt team, it's a roller coaster ride, has been one of the fun or intriguing subplots, at least, of this 2023 season. They face uh, a frisky ETSU team in round number one, but it feels like it'll be Vanderbilt, Ohio State in that second round. Who you got in the regional final? Look, this one is tough. I think, you know, we did just see this last season. I, I Ohio State's a mystery to me, right? I mean, we go so long without them getting a marquee victory in the Big Ten. And Vanderbilt has just been a roller coaster of a ride. At some point, I think the pieces have to fall together. I have no reason to believe that this will happen, but I think Vanderbilt gets the upset again. If nothing else, I think they should have the belief from last season. It's going to be tough. What's the calculi? Because I really think all seven points are toss-ups. Yeah, I mean, it starts at one for Vanderbilt, right? They need a good match from Belmore at number one to get off the court quickly. It's probably, it's going to be tough if they, Bridget Stammel, uh, I, I don't know actually if they have Stamel at two or if Anna Ross is at two. I think for Vanderbilt, they need to get two of the top four and they need to get Anessa Lee as well. Um, I do think the familiarity for this absolutely. Vanderbilt team, that's such an advantage uh, to yeah. having played and been there in Columbus before to have so much of this core. Although I guess Belmore and Stamel, it's a little bit different, but so much of the core has that belief of having won there before. Yeah. You're picking Vanderbilt? I am. Okay. Another upset. It's anti Big Ten J. There he is. He's back for no, I'm just kidding. You know, I have to give you a hard time about it. Yeah. I mean, the flip side is the easiest argument. I'm sure Ohio State is thrilled because Contos, Marzal, Ratliff, you know, uh, Boulay, Allen, they have played this Vanderbilt team before. It works both ways. And they're like, yeah, we get another shot in front of our home crowd. We're not, you know, Ask Georgia how hard it is to beat the Buckeyes in Columbus. Ask NC State what that barn burner was to get through that match earlier in the season. It's a really fun second round match. One I like to think will be a part of our Crack Rackets broadcast at some point this weekend. Last one in the upset alert category. And I don't feel good about including them because I'm supposed to avoid biases. I think my fondness for Allison Ojeda has been made quite clear over the years and Throughout the course of this season, I think this Tennessee team is the definition of really good. They can beat you in all seven points on any given day. The thing is, they got two experienced teams coming to town in Wake Forest and Arizona State. Now, again, this might be more intriguing than upset alert, Jay, but it's certainly an intriguing regional. Yeah, this feels very similar to the Texas Regional where you have a really solid first round match here in Wake Forest, Arizona State, and you expect the winner of that match will push the seed here in Tennessee. So I don't have Tennessee really on upset alert here, but I do think that they'll get tested in that second round. I think they'll be prepared for it. Knoxville is a tough place to play, particularly if this is Arizona State coming from the West Coast. So I think Tennessee advances. I think just up and down the lineup, this is a very solid team. Arizona State, Wake Forest haven't exactly, you know, ended the season particularly strong. Uh, whereas I feel really good about Tennessee coming off of the SEC tournament where they were really, I mean, points away from knocking off Georgia in the semifinals. No, they've been really good everywhere. Like Kutzer, Martena, Tomase, Adashina, Anzalota. 
you know, again, whoever they want to play in that sixth spot has been pretty solid there as well. And they've been good at doubles also. Like Tennessee's just solid everywhere. And, you know, Wake needs Killingsworth. They need Brylin, right, in those matches. You're not sure you're going to get them both against the Tennessee. And again, Arizona State pretty solid everywhere. I don't, I just, I, I think they're going to bruise each other up in that first round battle. And again, you can't be bruised up going against Tennessee. You need to be at your best because if you give them one freebie, you're not going to find four points elsewhere. Um, they're going to earn three on their own. And so I think it's a really interesting regional. I think there are three really good teams in this section. I don't, you know, again, I know the travel matrix came into play in terms of how the seeding worked out here and, you know, Princeton and Fordham being the two and three seeds at the Virginia women and sticking Wake Forest and Arizona State in the same region. Both teams have justifiable reason to be upset, I would say, if I'm Wake Forest or the Arizona State fan base. And, you know, again, I just hope someday we get to ask the committee some questions because I would love to hear how they come to all of these decisions. Um, It's a really fun regional. Final thoughts, Jay? You're picking Tennessee? I am picking Tennessee. Yeah, right. I think I they like- looked really good in the SEC tournament, and I'm riding with that. I agree. I think it's going to be a really fun tournament for this experience group. Well, all right. If those are the upset alerts, maybe you have some more on your list. I have an X category I call the best of the rest. Let's get to those now. Let's start with, again, a team I got the chance to see in person this past weekend, so I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I just love the energy uh, that Coach Kelsey McKenna has building for these Wisconsin Badgers. And let's not forget the first two months of the year when there was a lot of Wisconsin Kool-Aid drinking. And you can't convince me this match won't be indoors, Jay. And if it is, <laughs> like, I'm just saying. Like, I know Iowa State were the indoor semifinalists, but – That's a really fun potential match. Of course, don't sleep on LSU either. On the right day, Komar and Collins could be the best two players on the court against any of these teams they face. Now, obviously, this Iowa State story is one of the best, if not the best, of the 2023 college tennis season. This group gets to play these matches at home. Uh, You really hope it's a fun atmosphere because this group deserves that opportunity to get a send-off for everything they've accomplished this season. And again... You wouldn't want to pick against this semifinalist at the National Indoors Iowa State. At the same time, it's a really fun region, Jay. Yeah, it is a really fun region. And shout out to LSU for that win over Arkansas, securing their spot in the NCAA tournament and not the NIT, which is where I thought we would see them. Uh, Looking forward to that match with Wisconsin. But you're right. I I think this region is going to be indoors as well. I have no idea what the weather is looking like, but I anticipate that that will be the case. If that's the case, I expect we will get Iowa State and Wisconsin. Look, I feel good about Iowa State. I thought they looked good in the Big 12 tournament in that match against Oklahoma. That came down to the absolute wire. But it should be a good one, Uh, particularly that Wisconsin-LSU match where, as you mentioned, Komar, Collins, Komar in particular has had an outstanding season. Um, So that'll be a fun one up top. You mentioned it. Shout out, of course, to Taylor Fogelman, first year on the job, LSU, into the NCAA tournament, a program that should get into the NCAA tournament every season. But, of course, they do, and it's a really fun matchup with Wisconsin. Looking forward to that first rounder. Looking forward to watching this region unfold. Let's go to Miami next. And, of course, we saw funkiness unfold in Miami during the kickoff weekend when Iowa State went and beat the Hurricanes and the UCLA Bruins there. This time, Miami going to host Boston 
Auburn FIU. You pointed yesterday to that Auburn FIU first round match as being intriguing. Make the case for that one, Jay, then offer me your thoughts on this region. Well, Auburn has sort of limped, you know, to the end of this season. They played their way out of a top 16 seed by losing to Florida and Ole Miss then in the SEC tournament. So uh, Auburn will be looking for a bounce back. You talked about that intriguing Miami kickoff weekend with Iowa State and UCLA, the fourth team in that region. FIU, they got the win over UCLA there. They're very comfortable here on these Miami courts. They are coming in with a lot of momentum after winning their conference title. They played Texas A&M very close this season. So this is a dangerous FIU team. You like to say this about Auburn. It's going to be 4-3. They used to be a very close match. Um, and I could actually see this going either way. Yeah. The thing is that Auburn could beat FIU 4-3 and then they could find a way to 4-3 against Miami where, you know, maybe it's, it's Arsenal or Ansari has a day at one or two. And then, you know, one of the freshmen has a day for this Auburn team. And so often it needs to be two of them. But Okatoye and I mean, you can go across that Carnicello. They've all had their days throughout the course of the year. The problem is you never know who's going to have their day on any given day. The thing is, like, it's. It's the last weekend for Carolyn Ansari, potentially. You're telling me she doesn't have – is she submitted at one? No. Yeah, she's at two. I was going to say – but you're telling me she doesn't have a win over Fenning in her, like in this final weekend? Like that's well, why she, I just can't – I she can't wouldn't write play off. Fen- she wouldn't play Fenning. She'd play a Chong at two for Miami. You're telling me she doesn't have that in her? Like I could oh, see well, it. Oh, I could absolutely see that because Fenning should be at two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean look, I could see that. But look, I just don't think they can – overlook the FIU match first, right? They need to get through that uh, to potentially play Miami. It would be a mistake to overlook FIU. Very, very fair. Well, with that said, who are you picking in this region? Miami. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay. That's that's fair. They are at home. And again, they're not going to lose two regionals at home this weekend. That would just be improbable. (laughs) Um, Let's go to Georgia next. I love this Georgia region. I think this is my sneaky favorite one of the bunch. You look for the Georgia women. They're hosting Florida A&M round one, other side of the draw, an Illinois team that I'm telling you outdoors. I've heard a bunch of good things about this team. They're just going to make you work. They're taking on one of the hotter teams in the country in a Florida State team. Got to win at Georgia Tech uh, at the end of regular season play. Was it semifinals of the conference tournament? Quarterfinals? Uh, yeah, yeah, semifinals. They beat Iowa. Yeah. Uh, uh, for, no, no, no. Sorry, for Florida State. Oh, for Florida State. Quarterfinals. Qu- quarterfinals of the conference tournament for Florida State. Um, but it's a, it's a deep team. It's a fun team. I think that's a really fun first round match. And again, like I think Georgia gets through that said, I don't think it's just going to be a four, one, you know, cruise through that round of 32 match. Yeah. I mean, the big question for me is if Illinois has Kate Duong, who has been out for the last few matches for Illinois, I don't know the status of her injury, but if they don't have her at number one, that's going to be really tough for Illinois to take on Florida State. I agree. Georgia will get through this, but if they face Florida State, it's giving me 4-2 vibes. That's perfectly put. We can move on to the Duke region, the last in my best of the rest. Again, I think Duke gets through, but UCLA is the biggest question mark of the 2023 season. And I mean, the Bruins have beat Pepperdine. The Bruins have had some signature victories, Ohio state throughout the course of this season. They could just as likely lose to Texas tech as they could beat Duke in a region in around a 32 match. 
These are two blue blood pro- programs, Jay. This is a really fun region. Yeah, I don't know if it's just as likely to lose a Texas Tech as it is to beat Duke, but I get what you're saying because it's very true. Uh, you could see them losing to this Texas Tech team that has been on the losing end of a lot of 4-3 matches this year who could have a moment against UCLA. A lot of UCLA's wins, in fact, all of their main wins have come in LA, right? We saw them in Miami struggle. We've seen them in away matches struggle this year. So we saw what they did in Ojai against Washington. They got blanked by that Washington team. So who knows what UCLA team is going to show up here. If you're Duke, that's a scary proposition. This is not a known quantity that is coming to town. And yeah, I think Duke gets through this because Duke is a known quantity at this point. You know the pieces, you know the players, but there's high upside in UCLA. Again, they could take doubles against Duke. Uh, Fangun Tian hasn't lost a match at number one. She could absolutely take on Chloe Beck. and Which that might be the best individual matchup of the weekend if we get it. Like God yeah. willing, we get that changing of the guard sort of match that we all deserve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that match probably doesn't finish, unfortunately, but that could very well be an NCAA quarterfinal match uh, that we get a preview of. Yeah, that's uh, why I think solely, if nothing else, this region has to be on the best of the rest list because, yeah, that prospect of Beck versus Tien at one is just mouthwatering for college tennis fans across the country. Duke is the pick, though, from John J. Parsons. And again, I'm going to solicit a pick for him on all 16 regions. Now, we'll rapid fire through some of the remaining as we go through the best of the rest here. I call this cruise control. Like, again, teams that I think 4041, maybe you slip into a 4-2. Let's start with North Carolina. You look for the Tar Heels, number one overall seeds. They are going to play host uh, over the course of this weekend to Charleston Southern, Old Dominion, and then South Carolina. Look, uh, Old Dominion, South Carolina, top of the lineup, very intriguing. North Carolina gets five players into the NCAA singles tournament. Of course, the other two are Tran and Scotty, and we know what they're capable of. Give me the score lines. Who gets through that Old Dominion, South Carolina? That's fascinating. Yeah, that's a really fascinating match. Old Dominion coming off of a really solid season, winning their conference uh, this past weekend. Look, I think South Carolina took a tough loss to Kentucky. I would say I lean Old Dominion in this match. I think they have the talent at the top of the lineup to at least compete there. Uh, The question will be around depth. So I'm leaning Old Dominion over the past few weeks. I've liked more what I've seen from them than what I've seen from South Carolina. However, if North Carolina does play South Carolina, that's a direct rematch of last season 2022 second round match. So South Carolina, Old Dominion, I mean, this is a familiar part of the country for them. Uh, North Carolina gets through this section though 4040 I've been a South Carolina believer all season long I think that's maybe again that's in the conversation best first round match of the opening weekend let's move over to college station number two overall seeds Texas A&M now they drop just their second match of the year in the SEC tournament final to Georgia they're going to face Quinnipiac or Quinnipiac as Chris Halioris likes to pronounce it from yesterday Really fun one. An SMU women's team that's flown under the radar. They have had a phenomenal season, and they're going to take on Baylor in round number one. That's a really fun match. I almost put this in best of the rest just because, like, I feel like SMU could 4-2. Like, SMU is just, we didn't spend enough time talking about them this year. I watched them in conference play. I really liked what I saw. Um, I think, like, again, A&M probably gets through, but this is a fun region. Well, that 
first round match, SMU Baylor is really fun. These two teams played in early April. Baylor wins 4-1. SMU hasn't lost since. They've won five straight matches. They go on and win the American Athletic Conference to really solidify not only on ranking, but also on auto birth for NCAAs. The big question for SMU against Baylor is do they have the depth? That's what they really struggled against with Baylor when they played uh, earlier in April. They got swept at four through six. So uh, on momentum right now, SMU is kind of like the, the dark horse here. And you feel like if they get through Baylor, riding that momentum from flipping that match earlier this season, that they could test, you know, Texas A&M. Texas A&M gets through, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's a 4-1 or a, yeah, 4-1 in that second round. All right, let's move over then to third-seeded NC State Wolfpack. Of course, big winners in the draw reveal, as they are not on the same side as conference foes, who UNC, of course, who they handed their first loss to in the ACC tournament final. NC State hosting Kansas, Charlotte. Gotta feel good for that Charlotte women's program to get into the NCAA tournament. South Carolina State, the first-round match for NC State. Again, I'm not saying the Wolfpack get beaten. I really like that first-round matchup, though, between Charlotte and Kansas. Absolutely. First time the Charlotte program makes it into the NCAA tournament. We talk about some of these head coaches who have had turnarounds. Anthony Davison there at Charlotte in his five years there, a former alum of Charlotte, has taken them from not in the NCAA tournament to in the NCAA tournament. And guess what? This is a very winnable match. This is a Kansas team that started the season strong, has not looked as strong through the home stretch, they might not just be in their first NCAA tournament. They might be in the second round facing number three NC State. Yeah, it's going to be a fun matchup. Uh, certainly, again, around one to circle 2 p.m. Eastern time, it says on the draw. Shout out to the draw uh, for including these. These times. graphics are excellent. Yeah, These are our best graphics all season. OK, I want you to know that I texted super producer Daniel Westoff during this show. And I let her go, dude, these graphics are perfect. I was like, this is what we're doing tomorrow as well. So I appreciate you saying that. And of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has included these graphics. And I'm, I'm sad we included this so near the end because had we said this at the beginning, maybe people would have stopped the podcast and come and watch the live show here on YouTube. But hey, catch these last four regions on YouTube <laughs> so you can see all these match times and see the phenomenal work of super producer Daniel Westoff. Let's go to fifth seeded Michigan next. Michigan playing host, uh, of course, again, to both the men's and women's regions this weekend. They are going to host Youngstown State in their first round match. Then the winner of that will face the winner of Notre Dame and Ball State. Look, you got to put an asterisk next to every ACC team, given the battles they all went through in the regular season. How are you feeling about this Michigan region? Well, I think this is a great region for Michigan. If Michigan got any other middle of the pack ACC SEC team that was not based in the Midwest, aka Notre Dame, you would make go maybe on upset intrigue here but not the case here with Notre Dame a team that has played the same amount of indoor tennis as this Michigan team although they do get the advantage of going down south for some of those ACC trips but I think a very good uh region for Michigan it looks like we're gonna have some sun you know I'm now uh I've added Ann Arbor now to my my weather just because I need to keep track uh but it looks like we're gonna be outside which I'm very excited for yeah uh, again uh, it's gonna be a fun weekend you're picking Michigan I am. 
All right, Michigan then through, according to John J. Parsons, three to go. Are you going to be at Stanford this weekend? Of course, Stanford playing host to another region, the seven overall seed. They've got, fuck, as Jay mentioned, the highest non-seeded team in the draw into Oklahoma State, who's going to take on Denver. Stanford going to take on Weber State, Weber State, however you want to say it, in round one. Jay, thoughts on this region? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that stat earlier of if Stanford plays Oklahoma State here, that's the highest ranked team that they will have faced because uh, there's no Pac-12 team higher ranked than what, Oklahoma since Texas? State. Yeah, since Texas. I mean, That's when they crazy. It, in the Pac-12, there's no one ranked higher than yeah. Oklahoma State right now other than Stanford. So this very much, you know, you mentioned that question at the top of the show. How does this compare? It's almost like, let me get back to you after this weekend, right? Because now we start to th- throw in different conference, different energy, new blood, uh, look, I think that we'll, I think we will get that match in the second round. That's a rematch of the 2016 NCAA final. It's going to be a fun one. And I think Oklahoma state, it's a, it's a funky lineup that has a lot of places where they're going to feel very strong about. I, I think they could give Stanford some fits, but I do think Stanford advances. An NCAA final rematch. Great history poll from you. 2016, right? 2016, Taylor yeah. Davidson, 4-3 clinch at number two yeah, singles. Yeah. Were you there? I was there. Yeah, that's what, when was the last time you weren't there? 2009. You start, you've been at everyone since 2010? Yes. Oh, okay. It, <laughs> quick tangent. Sorry, because <laughs> we've got two regions left to go. And honestly, shout out to you. You've been very efficient today. Um, shout out to both of us. Again, second of the pod. Um, what's the best final you've seen? The best final? Oh, well, 2013, Virginia men with the foot touch. Come on. You, is that better than the D-win diving volley over Sonam in 2011? Because to me, those are the two I turn to always. And I still lean 11 because just that was like the first one for me. Now, 13 was, of course, another massive one for me. I lean 11 over 13 just because that 11 USC team. Like, that's one of the inflection points in college tennis history. Peter Smith always says Stevie comes back for year four because we win that match. That's the one I turn to as number one. I'm less so on that because we had seen it in 2010, right? They were within their, you know, dynasty era, right? And so for 2013, for me, there was a lot more storyline. I was a student at Virginia during that time. Uh, So that one sticks out for sure. And I mean, the controversy of the foot touch, we've never gotten anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, he so clearly does it. Like, again, I've always said Carousel came on the show and goes, yeah, his foot touched the net. Like, for sure it did. And I was but, like, all right, but, but that settles it. When you're sitting in the stands, I yeah. mean, you you can't, t- especially in Champagne behind that chain link <laughs> fence, you can't see anything. So that definitely sticks out. I would say on the women's side, the one that sticks out is also 2011. Uh, the Stanford-Florida match where Mallory Burdett and Lauren Embry played, which was a spectacularly horrific match uh yeah. um but that came down to to number two singles there uh so that one sticks out as well um it's uh, uh, th- 2011 2013 i mean the stanford texas a&m women's match uh also a phenomenal match there so there have been just been a lot of phenomenal matches over the years those are the two years i turned to as well um and again those are my junior senior years of high school like those are the ones uh excuse me sophomore uh, and senior but the 20 uh, we'll end here on this stanford oklahoma state 2016 that 
is one of the more special tournaments, I would say, because you had an Oklahoma State team who was the hometown hero, right, advancing to the final for the first time in program history, looking to win their first women's NCAA tournament title, playing perennial favorite Stanford, and Oklahoma State had them absolutely on the ropes. Um, and I mean, that was your classic 4-3 cramping match um, and Stanford got the win there. So I know that one probably still hurts for cowgirl fans, but that one absolutely sticks out as a very clear memory. Maybe they'll get some revenge this weekend. Let's move on to our final two regions. Virginia, the number 12 seed uh, at this NCAA tournament. Another site, again, going to get to host both the men's and the women's action. Uh, they are hosting Long Island in round number one. We'll then face the winner of Princeton Fordham in round number two. Jay, thoughts on this one? Well, it's another rematch of what we saw last year, you know, Virginia playing Princeton in the second round. Look, I think Virginia gets through this. I will say by and large, they did not, they were not as militant about the travel matrix this year as they have been last year. You do see more instances of taking flights, a little bit more draw, draw parity. This region is not one of them. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Excellent use of the word militant. Virginia, drop a point. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Daria Freeman probably gets off the court pretty quickly against Julie Adams at number one. All right. And I want to ask you about those lineup decisions here in a moment. So hold that because I want to ask you about the most interesting notes. We're having that conversation. I promise I didn't forget. <laughs> Last but not least, Oklahoma women. Uh, they are the 13 seeds, I believe. They are going to play host to Hawaii in round number one. Then again, another really fun first round match between Arkansas, Washington, Arkansas, last team to sneak into the main draw. Jay, thoughts on this region? Yeah, I love this first round match, Arkansas, Washington. I mean, Washington, we mentioned beating UCLA in the first round of Pac-12s, but previously had been on a four match losing streak. Arkansas can be feel very comfortable here in Oklahoma, familiar part of the country. I have Washington on upset alert here. I know we know we're talking about seeds. I think Arkansas gets through this one. I feel like they're probably feel like they're playing with house money a little bit getting into this tournament and they have talent at the top of that lineup to get some wins there. Ultimately, I think Oklahoma advances. Um, But, you know, I always have a close eye on this Oklahoma team because Will they repeat last year's magic? It starts against Hawaii. Three words, Caroline Gomez-Alonso. If you haven't watched her yet this season, get eyes on her at Arkansas. You can make the case she's been the best player in this region throughout the course of the 2023 season. But again, this Oklahoma team, uh, they're built for, like, I'm really excited to watch them play throughout the course of this NCAA tournament because there is an urgency for this group. This is what they've been waiting for all season long. And again, whether it's Arkansas or Washington, that's not an easy second round match. And again, if they go through that 4-0, then you circle that matchup against Georgia as just must-see TV in the super region. And that's why you got to watch this Oklahoma group uh, throughout the course of this NCAA tournament. So with all of that said, that's all 16 regions, folks. Now, again, I know we went through everything, so I want to specify some first-round matches that certainly have my eye. I'll ask you for predictions once again on all of them, Jay. Ooh. San Diego versus Cal. Who you got? California. Wake Forest versus Arizona State. Arizona State. LSU versus Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Georgia Tech versus UCF. Georgia Tech. Baylor versus SMU. SMU. And that's an upset. I like that. South Carolina versus Old Dominion. Old Dominion. Also an upset? 
I think on paper, yes, absolutely. Auburn FIU? Auburn. Arkansas, Washington? I got to go Arkansas. All righty. Florida State, Illinois? Florida State. Kansas, Charlotte? Charlotte. UCLA, Texas Tech? Hmm. Mm. Stumper. I like it. This is a stumper. Uh, I'll go UCLA. Princeton, Fordham? Princeton. It's been a good year for Fordham. I I just point out, but I agree. I think Princeton gets through as well. All right. That's everything. It's a lot of predictions mixed in. Now, before we go, some other predictions. I just want to throw everyone's way. Lineup challenges we've got impending. Jay, it's our last topic. The floor is yours. Talk us through everything you saw, because I know you did the research. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted out the ones at just the cursory glance of like what really caught my eye. You know, I was like halfway through and it was like, OK, yeah, Georgia Drummy's up to three for Duke. Interesting. OK, Kari Miller up to one for Michigan. OK, Elisa Zarr still at one for Pepperdine. And then I get mm-hmm. to number one, North Carolina, who not just flips one player, they flip a lot. They play freshman Reese Brantmeyer at number one. They submit number one player in the country, Fiona Crawley, at number two. The biggest shocker was transfer Abby Forbes moving up to three and putting Carson Tangillig down at number four. They've got Scotty at five, Tran at six, Yarlagata at seven. I really did not expect of all of the draw and seeding stuff that could come out for UNC's lineup to be the biggest shock. I mean, we should have kept the reaction live stream yesterday because my jaw was absolutely on the floor. We missed what would be good live stream. I'm stunned. I am. I'm stunned. It's not logical. I assume this will lose a challenge. You have Abby Forbes, who's one and two at three, seven and three at four, one and oh at four. I mean, if I was a team, I would challenge her to be behind Scotty, who is seven and zero at four, ten and one at five. To move her behind Carson, who's fourteen and three at three, it's not defensible, and I think it sends a you know warning signal to the rest of the field that they got a little spooked about that NC State match and that they're trying to jockey for for lineups. Look. You do not see this. You do not see the number one team in the country who's now been the number one seed for three straight years at the NCAA tournament completely mix up their lineup like this. And by the way, Brant Meyer at one, can't argue for it, right? She has not been better than Fiona Crawley at two. Records don't say it. Form doesn't say it. She's down to set to Julie Adams. She's down to set to Bryland of Wake Forest. It's absolutely indefensible. I think it's a really bad look. I was shocked it happened. It was it was notable. There's no doubt about that. It was very, very notable to see such significant shifts, especially because that's like North Carolina played the lineup, all the same lineup all season long to yeah. your point. Like, yes, there was some shifting in Scotty Tran Yarlagata at four, five, six, as expected and Forbes, excuse me. But like probably one Brantmeyer two, Tan Gillig three was the lineup this mm-hmm. season. And yeah, you're right. Forbes is the most significant shift I think we saw across the board. I mean, Tangillic hasn't played a match at four all season. Yeah. There's your answer. Um, I mean, again, Rejecki did beat her pretty solidly at the ACC tournament, but that's one match. Yeah. And And you you know who wasn't winning her match either at four? 
Abby Forbes. Forbes. Yeah, drop that first set in a very that was a, that was a that was a match. That um, was a that was a match. Yeah, I mean, again, if I'm challenging this, I'm saying, what are you talking about? Three? It should be yeah. Scotty four, Forbes maybe five. On record, you could argue else. So I don't know. It's very strange. I don't know what's going on. I assume that this will be challenged by one, if not many coaches. Uh, we'll find out, you know, in the next 24 hours. Any other challenges? Uh, I expect the Virginia women to get challenged with Julia Adams at number one. That was one I felt like was waiting to get challenged. Um, I think if I was in the Miami region, I would challenge Fenning at three. She has been significantly better than a Chong at two. I would flip those. That's the only one I was surprised. Pepperdine is keeping Lisa Zar at one, Brodus at two, but it's, I mean, it's tough to challenge because Zar has been solid throughout. Um, but yeah, those are the women's, uh, those are the women's surprises for me. All right. I like it. Well, folks, that's where things stand entering the opening weekend of play. And again, we're excited to be a big part of the broadcast coverage. We'll have more information for on all of that for all of you college tennis fans over the next few days. Of course, a shout out, as always, to Dalton Thienman, Daniel Westoff, our Cracked Rackets team, who helps make everything possible here. A shout out, as always, to the support we get from our friends at Turna at LS, as well as they make it possible for us to host these episodes week in, week out here on The Deciding Point. With all that said, Jay, any final thoughts, predictions, things you got to get off your chest from the 16 pages before we wrap today's show? No, I think we covered a lot of it. Uh, so I think this is a, a fun one. And look, I think generally my biggest takeaway was that the draw is fairly well done. I think there have been a lot more, I'll speak for myself, pockets of of rage, right? <laughs> or uh, areas that you just look at and you go, oh man, this part of the draw is tough. Um, either because it's significantly difficult or maybe less difficult, but Overall, I do think prioritizing some of the integrity is much better than that mileage matrix. I mean, throw the mileage matrix out. I, you know, it's so done with that. Uh, overall, look, I think it's a good draw. I think it's absolutely going to give us a phenomenal tournament. I'm looking forward to it. All right. I love to hear it. Well, then, with all of that said, four. The fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, the support we get from our friends at Turner and LS and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We will be back tomorrow night with our thoughts on the 2023 NCAA Division One men's tournament draw. But for now, Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 